Hello, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Creedal Catholic. Creedal Catholic is a Catholic theology and apologetics podcast that is faithful to the magisterium and dedicated to the mission of the new evangelization. We're a part of the Vernacular Podcast Network, and if you'd like to support us or find out more about the other shows on our network, head to patreon.com slash vpn or vernacularpodcast.com. Patreon.com slash vpn or vernacularpodcast.com. Enjoy the show. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Creedal Catholic. I'm joined on this episode by Simone Riscala, uh, whose bio I will give you in just a moment. But before that, Simone, welcome to the show. First time on Creedal Catholic. (laughs) Yes. Thank you so much, Zach. Yeah. Thanks for being here. I'm excited to talk about a bunch of different things. We've got some cool stuff lined up. Uh, Kind of the keynote topic is gossip, which I think is something that is under talked about uh, in Catholic circles today, but it is a sin that is so easy to slip into and I think so devastating mm-hmm. to our sanctity and our reputation yes. as Christians. So I'm excited to dive into all that. But first, I want to tell my listeners a little bit about who you are. So Simone Ruscala is currently the Director of Program Growth for Endow Groups. And if you want to check out Endow, first of all, it's, a, it's, a, it's an organization for women. If you're a man, you can definitely check it out. But if you're a woman, you can get involved in it. Uh, endowgroups.org, I think, is the website, Simone. That's right. And uh, so director of program growth there. Previously, Simone has worked at St. Mary's Catholic High School in Phoenix, Arizona. And just prior to hitting record, we were talking about her experience there. And it sounded really cool. And I think she has some great stories from that. Uh, she was theology department chair and senior theology teacher. She is also an Institute of Catholic Theology fellow based on the campus of St. Thomas the Apostle in Phoenix, Arizona. Her graduate degrees in theological studies with an emphasis in systematic theology from Christendom College, uh, the same uh, a graduate institution on which another or at which another uh, creedal Catholic guest, Casey Chalk, has studied uh, and received his degree. Her undergraduate studies and professional background include marketing, communications, media, radio, and theater, which is pretty cool, uh, before discovering her passion for the faith and the call to evangelize through teaching and speaking. She's the daughter of immigrants from the Armenian diaspora in Cairo, Egypt, and I definitely have questions for you on that, Simone, (laughs) and uh, has a particular interest in matters of religious freedom and culture. In her free time, she enjoys teaching RCIA, speaking, and writing. She has been published in Church Pop, Alatia, hopefully I pronounced that correctly. Uh, Simone was helping me with the pronunciation before we hit record. Verily, <laughs> Catholic You and Ethica Politica. So, Simone, lots of stuff there. Welcome to Creedal Catholic. Thank you so much, Zach. I'm super, super excited to be here with you. Yeah, me as well. Uh, I didn't mention that you have a website, culturalgypsy.com. And that is at least in part a reference to what I uh, read in your bio, that you are the daughter of immigrants from the Armenian diaspora in Cairo. So let's talk about that a little bit. You identify as a cultural gypsy. Why yes. is that? And tell me what it was like to grow up in such a, uh, a, such a uniquely cultural family. Well, I mean, if you've seen the movie, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, <laughs> that's, that pretty much sums up how it felt. Um, and I don't know if you've seen it, Zach, but it's pretty, pretty funny, all the little cultural. I mean, that that movie came out, I think, before like pita chips and hummus was a thing. So, you know, just being a little immigrant kid uh, in a sea of very uh, utilitarian Americans. Um, so I love that it. Was, was, uh, was your family obsessed with Windex <laughs> would be my only question. Um, yes. So I hope my dad doesn't get mad at me or my mom, but they, they don't have a Windex thing, but they have a cologne thing. And like, if there's an ant problem or any kind of like house problem, they have like their, 
<laughs> their cologne. Honestly, like I, that's that makes sense to me though. The Windex thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but the cologne does because of course the primary alcohol in cologne or the primary ingredient in in cologne is alcohol. And alcohol yes. is good for a lot of things, <laughs> including I imagine getting rid of bug infestations and things like that. Ex- so. Exactly. It has to be like super cheap, like from the dollar store cologne. Right. <laughs> so yeah, there was definitely like that, like this going to solve like all the problems <laughs> of the house and the bugs and all the insects. So yeah, it's not Windex, but um, definitely that same kind of thing going on there with that. But in terms of the cultural gypsy thing, I mean, yeah, it's kind of kind of an odd phrase, but kind of a lot of layers of meaning. I mean, the word gypsy you know, harkens like nomadic life and not really belonging anywhere and so forth. And the root of the word is actually Egypt, you know, where, where my parents and my grandparents are from. So it's kind of a play on words there, but the cultural part is to do with kind of moving from our, from our family, from Armenia, a brief stay in Turkey to Egypt and then to the United States. And all of it was fueled by looking for a religious freedom. So not really like having a a long-term place for, you know, um, for more than, you know, a couple generations. And then, um, and then I guess the larger kind of spiritual part of that is the kind of American experience of like, I mean, all of us that we're living right now where there isn't really this like strong culture especially if you're a millennial there's like no right there's like no rules and you're kind of making it up on the way and everybody's a little bit confused about how they're supposed to behave in front of each other and then as a christian on top of it you know so that being in the world but not of the world so there's a lot of layers there with the phrase cultural gypsy but i figure if you're a christian you you'll relate if you're a millennial you'll relate and if you're kind of a first generation you know, immigrant kid, you'll also relate. So there's, I think there's something for everybody. (laughs) No, I love it. One question I have since your family hails originally from Armenia is were they, or have they always been Catholic or were they at one point part of the Armenian apostolic church, which as I'm sure, you know, is part of Oriental Orthodoxy, kind of a cousin of what we now call Eastern Orthodoxy, but the Armenian church, just for our listeners, separated from the patriarch of Constantinople in I think 554. So much prior, you know, centuries prior to the great schism between East and West, the Oriental Orthodox Church and specifically the Armenian Apostolic Church separated. And yep. a, a lot of a lot of Armenia's oldest Christians, as I understand it, are a part of the Armenian Apostolic Church. That's correct. So we always take really a lot of pride in being Armenian because Armenia was the first nation to declare itself Christian in 301, which was like a decade before before the Edict of Milan and Constantine legalizing Christianity in the Roman Empire. So that's a big like. Uh, you know, you'll be with an Armenian for about five minutes before they want to re- remind you of the <laughs> that claim to fame that we're the first official Christian. I love it. And that, and then of course, Noah's Ark landed in Mount Ararat, which is in you know ancient Armenia. So everybody's really Armenian if you think about it. So there's, there's a very lot cool. Of pride, there's a I lot like of pride that. there. Yeah, there's a lot of pride there. Um, but actually, my family. So my mom's side is all Greek Orthodox, is an Armenian Orthodox. Okay. But my dad's side is the Catholic side, the Syrian Catholic and Armenian Catholic. And in the Middle East, you, the Orthodox and the Catholic, don't really. It's like potato potato for them in, yeah. in many ways. So you just follow the dad. You just follow. The, so then when they came to America, you know, my dad kind of said, "Whatever you want to raise them is fine. Orthodox Catholic, I'm good with both." My mom was Orthodox, but actually said, well, let's just do it the Middle Eastern way. We'll raise them Catholic because, you know, you're Catholic and that doesn't, it doesn't, you know, especially on the Orthodox end of things, like it's definitely potato, potato. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) So so we, and they're just more Roman Catholic churches, even though we're not Roman Catholic. 
or Latin Rite Catholic to be more technical. Um, so, so do you, so do we you went, attend a Byzantine Rite church where you live now? So my parish now is an Armenian Catholic Rite, so it's the Armenian Catholic Church. So Armenians are already kind of the minorities and in the Middle East, Christians are minorities. And then since most Armenians are apostolic or orthodox, we're like the minority within the minority of the Armenian Catholics. So I go to, I go to the right that I was actually baptized and chrismated and uh, received first communion in all, all, you know, triple threat, you know, as an infant, got all three sacraments of initiation. So I actually get to go to the, to the, I actually belong to a parish of my original right, which is, which is great. And since there's only seven Armenian Catholic churches in all of the United States and Canada, uh, you know, being in California where there are more Armenians than even in Armenia, uh, it's a good place to be as an Armenian Catholic. No kidding. That's, that's awesome. So, uh, refresh my memory here. I was listening to a podcast that was very edifying, but, uh, I didn't, I don't remember all of the things, but there's the, if you talk about the Eastern churches within mm-hmm. the Catholic church that are in full communion with Rome, there's, the, yes. there's a right and there's a church. And what's the difference between a right and a church? Because one of them is, I think a little bit bigger, right? Like the Byzantine right, for example, includes two or three different churches within it, right? Yeah, it's a little complicated. So there's like these overarching like Byzantine rites and so forth. And that includes, you know, I actually have a map of it back that I can send to you because I forget myself. But oh, that'd be great. So there, Please do. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll send you that map. It's really interesting. So it'll show you like what's under the Oriental, what's under the the Byzantine, what's under, you know, and then and so forth. But the right is that we have about, I think, 23, 24 Eastern Catholic rights. So, you know, even though Latin right is the largest of the Catholic, uh, you know, rights. Um, and then the only other Western right is the Ambrosian right, which is super obscure and like limited to Milan, as far as I know. But the rest are Eastern rights, which is like 20, 22, 23, 24, I think. I can't remember exactly. Eastern, Eastern right. So there's more Eastern uh, rights than there are Western, but the Western have more people, which is why when I tried actually to switch over from, I, I had a moment where I tried to become, go from Armenian Catholic to Greek Catholic because I had the Greek Orthodox influence in my house. And so I felt like Greek Catholic was kind of the happy medium between what I was raised with and, and being, you know, Catholic. Sure. And then, and then the, the Melkite priest said, oh, yeah, you can definitely transfer rights to become Greek. And I said, OK, great. And he goes, what are you now? I said, I'm Armenian Catholic. And he said, no, 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 you stay Armenian. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> there's like five of you in the world. So, you, you know, there's, there's no way that my bishop and his bishop would ever agree for, for, to switch from one Eastern to another because there's so few of us out there. So. He said, no, no, you come to Matthew, you can come to Melka anytime you want, but you stay Armenian. <laughs> well, the more I learn about the Eastern churches, the more I'm just fascinated by this whole idea. I mean, I've, I obviously became Catholic in the Latin Rite Church, as most Western mm-hmm. Americans do or have. Um, yes. But, you know, I have some friends who are in Eastern churches. Uh, I listened to a podcast called Pints with Aquinas by Matt Frad. And right. uh, he was originally in the Latin right, and now he attends a Byzantine right parish yeah. that I think, I think is Ruthenian uh, in the Ruthenian yep. church. That's a nice one. That's um, a nice one. And he recently I could see you switch that. Yeah, I, could I mean, <laughs> maybe. I mean, the, the beautiful thing is that they're all in communion with Rome, right? Exactly. So, you don't have to do anything official, but yeah. it's, I could see. I could see you. Yeah, I could see it. <laughs> and so it's all one church, which is just a beautiful. A it's sign so of Christian unity. In fact, on that podcast, and I commend this for my listeners, there was an interview that Matt Frad did with Father Eric O'Laughlin, who you may be familiar with, Simone. 
Um, no, I'm he, not actually. You should be. He was on the podcast Catholic Stuff You Should Know, based out of Denver oh, here, with the uh, yep. Companions of Christ. And, right, I know uh, those guys. Yep. He only recently moved out to California um, to to uh, pastor a Ruthenian church there. But oh, he nice. he was just talking all about why you know he said he's 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 very Eastern. Uh, and really kind of orthodox at heart, but he's in the Eastern Catholic Church because he thinks unity is so important and Christian unity mm-hmm. is what God calls us to. And That's he was right. uh, he was making, to me, a very compelling case about uh, why we uh, need these Eastern churches for the unity of the church. And also, even even more interestingly, how um, some of the d- differences in, you know, differences that divide East and West, now I'm talking about Orthodox and Catholic, yes. like the Filioque, for example, uh, yep. really come down to semantics and in his view can be resolved totally yeah Completely. can be resolved by I, by looking at what what rome was trying to say with the filioque versus what the orthodox would understand in the greek if exactly. it were exactly if it were translated to greek it's, so exactly i i completely agree with that and in studying church history 10 years ago now i was kind of scandalized because when i really learned about kind of the, the historical and cultural context of the filioque i thought oh actually this is not really what this is about um <laughs> sadly right. yeah. i mean not sadly but kind of like wow okay this whole time i really thought it was this big theological thing but actually it comes down to to man's pride and geopolitical issues you know which is also human but i think closer to the truth than anything the yeah, um, I think that's. Yeah. I, I certainly have less of a an intimate understanding than you do, not having grown up in uh, a you know half Orthodox, half Catholic family like you did. But um, based on my cursory yeah. understanding, I would agree with that as well. Uh, and I'm yeah. I'm very interested in exploring that further. So if you have recommendations for resources yes, to to read will, up or I study. Will. Yeah, I definitely will send you some stuff. There's something I wanted to tell you. You know, I think you'll appreciate this too. So when the Armenians who wanted to belong to uh, the Roman pontiff, recognizing him as the universal shepherd of the Catholic Church, they approached uh, the Pope and said, we would like for you to create a patriarch for us that we can be Armenian Catholics. And, you know, because the schism is obviously, they, they just wanted to be outside of that schism. And so the Pope said, okay, I will create a patriarch for you. But what happens if the very next day, the Armenian Orthodox patriarch, right, who is the legitimate patriarch says, I want to, you know, join communion again. And he said, and I can't remember his name. It's kind of a complicated Armenian name. He said, then I will give up my patriarchal seat and give it to its rightful owner. Wow. Isn't that beautiful? That is. So till the, till this day, the Armenian Catholic patriarch's middle name that he takes when he becomes the patriarch is always Bedros, which means Peter, to show his unity with the Pope in Rome. And if tomorrow the Armenian Orthodox said we want to to join with the Latin, you know, with the with the Universal Shepherd with the Pope, he will immediately give up his patriarchal seat and in uh, in honor of of the original patriarch, and so the patriarch will move from where it is now, which is in Lebanon, uh, to Armenia, where it rightfully should be. Oh, that is beautiful. What a great, Isn't that beautiful? Uh, yeah, that's really cool. I like that a lot. I thought you would. I thought you would. <laughs> I actually just learned it myself very recently as I've gotten uh, reintroduced to my own right. So it was very moving. Well, Simone, speaking of the See of Peter and the Roman Pontiff, I know that you're a huge fan of Benedict the Sixteenth, as I am. <laughs> And yes. when I was browsing your website, culturalgypsy.com, I noticed that you gave a talk, I think it was just last fall, on Benedict the Sixteenth's What It Means to Be a Christian. And uh, I have not actually read that work of his. I've read a lot, and I'm just trying to always read more. In fact, during Lent, we're doing a book club on Credo Catholic where we're walking through the Jesus of Nazareth Holy Week. 
And that's been, oh, awesome. uh, that's been really great to read that one again, because it's a, it's an evergreen one for sure. Absolutely. Like all his stuff, if you're honest, right? I know it's amazing. Stuff. Uh, it's <laughs> and, just amazing. I mean, I've said before, I think one of the things that I value so much about him is that he's such a clear thinker mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. clear writer. And I really appreciate that. I mean, I'm not knocking people who are much more flowery in their prose, but it's not, it's, it's, it's something that is just harder for me to connect with. I think it's because I think much more systematically and analytically. And so I yes. love the way that he does that as well. So I feel like uh, you know, the things that, the things that he writes, I can just, I just get it. You know, I get it more than, more than a lot of other people. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I mean, more than a lot of other uh, people that I read, you know, that you, that you read. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not saying I get it more than other people get him. Uh, I think, I mean, it just, it's so painful to me, people who may judge him without ever having read him because you, you, I, at least for me, it seems that when I read him, I feel that I truly know him and he's so humble and so brilliant all at the same time. It's an, it's for me, any, anytime I read Benedict, I encounter Christ. I do. When I run when I read him, he, he, I can, I can honestly say that I get closer to Jesus whenever I read Pope Benedict. That's exactly right. And yeah, my listeners may recognize the story, but a few months ago I had uh, John Waters on to, to do a movie review of the two popes. Uh. And, uh, and of course that, that movie is just horrible and that it, you know, it, yeah. it basically, uh, slanders Benedict throughout yeah, kind of mis- misportraying his yep. character and who he was. And there's this idea of him as, you know, God's Rottweiler who was prideful and arrogant and, uh, uncharitable mm-hmm. and not understanding. But, uh, I have a, I have a priest friend who went to Rome and had the occasion, had the uh, uh, blessing of being able to meet Benedict the Sixteenth on several occasions. And on one of these, he was with a um, a or he was in, a, in I think a piazza, and there was a tourist family. And Ratzinger came out, and he was not pope at the time, so he was I think the um, uh, the prefect of the car- of the doctrine of the congregation for the doctrine of the faith. And, mm-hmm. uh, but he came out and so he was a pretty high ranking cardinal, right? Uh, and mm-hmm. they're like, you know, uh, cardinal, cardinal over here, please. And so he came over and they said, uh, can we get a picture, please? And then he held out his hand for the camera. I was like, absolutely. Where would you like to stand? <laughs> oh, that's that's exactly right. Yeah. That's- so, um, yeah, just this this humble, holy man who just has such a ferocious intellect and any list that does not have Benedict on the top five theologians of the 20th century is uh, just a purely mistaken list, in my opinion. Exactly. I just, oh my goodness. You know, Bishop Barron says he recommends choosing a touchstone and reading everything that he's written. I think that if I had to choose a touchstone, it would be Benedict because I just keep going back to him. Oh, he's quickly becoming mine for sure. I mean, there's, there's no question at all. I mean, I, uh, you know, half my book budget goes to works by Benedict and exactly. um, I am whenever they publish his collected works, which is going to be, you know, a bookshelf full of stuff. I'm going to buy it no matter what it costs. I'm going to buy no it. No matter what, no matter what, there's a degree program out there. I think it's only in Rome. Uh, that's like, just like Pope Benedict's works. No, I, I'm familiar with it and it is only in Are Rome, you? sadly. Oh, that's why, that's why we're not already enrolled. Right? Exactly. Yeah. So let's talk though, briefly about what it means to be a Christian. I mean, we don't have the, uh, the time for you to go into your talk at length and I still want to talk to you about gossip, but give me the, give me the 90 second summary of what you talked about with respect to Benedict's, what it means to be a Christian. Well, I, I think that, I, well, just go by it. It's, it's actually quite short. It's three sermons that he gave when he was a priest in Germany, during which I would call his glory days. I think the happiest time where he was a theologian and a priest and gave these three talks 
three Advent talks uh, to a Catholic student chaplaincy. And I think that this book, I think there's so much confusion about what the substance of Christianity is. And it so often is reduced to these categories that I think Father Giussani really clarified for the church, which is on the one hand, moralism, and on the other hand, sentimentality. But the Christianity is neither one of those two reductions. And this book, I think, is the is the remedy to anybody who may be confused about what the gospel actually is. And it's, it's such a fundamental book and with such simple yet profound insights that I actually added it to the high school curriculum for the seniors at the high school that I taught at for six years. So it was actually, I was talking, I was, uh, it was a student in class who we were studying, you know, teaching theology and he raised his hand and he said, well, Ms. Riz, um, now that we're learning all this stuff, I guess we're more responsible to follow it. And so isn't it better that I be a public school kid? Because if I didn't know it, I'd be ignorant. So I wouldn't be as responsible. So <laughs> that is a very perceptive young man. He is exactly. And so I said, you know what, Oliver, that was his name. I said, you know what? I have the perfect book that I'm going to read with you. And that was that was the deciding factor. That encounter in class had me add it to the curriculum. And it has been a senior favorite uh, every year that I taught it. And we would have seminars on each of the each of the homilies. And it was so clarifying for the high school students. And I think so can be so clarifying for for the church, for anybody who wants to understand the true substance of Christianity. And so that's why I was really happy when I was asked to do a, a kind of a three hour uh, talk on it last fall because it was kind of my opportunity to get it out there because I think it's it needs to be read. No, that sounds great. I mean, going back to this question, this very perceptive question that your student asked, I think that's it's a totally reasonable one, and I I really admire his his mm-hmm. honesty mm-hmm. and pluckiness for saying it right because Christianity does make these demands of us that yes. that cannot be reduced to to either sentimentalism or moralism, but they're demands right. nonetheless. And, and they can be hard and to be a Christian, you know, what it means to be a Christian is to, is to follow through on the commitments that are entailed with that. It Mm -hmm. it reminds me of Mm -hmm. Jordan Peterson who was asked, uh, in, I forget who this was that he was talking to. I know it came up in his conversation with Bishop Barron, but he mentioned it prior to that as well. The question though, is basically, you know, Dr. Peterson, why aren't you a Christian or why aren't you a a sort of um, aligned deist in some way, right? You could be Muslim, Jewish, whatever, but why aren't you one of those? And um, I think if he's, he said that if he were to be something, I think you said this, that he would be a Christian, but he said that he isn't because he's not ready to follow through on the, on the demands on the demands of being a Christian. Wow. Exactly. You know, and it's so good that you pointed that out because there's this line, uh, line in the text where he says thus, thus the sublime and liberating message of love as being the sole and sufficient content of Christianity can also be, become something very demanding. So he actually head on confronts that and even says, what is the point of bearing this ecclesiastical burden? You know, if there's a possibility to be saved in other ways, you know, then what is the true nature of Christianity that makes it something worth committing to? So he really goes into it with this book. So I just, I love it. And so what's his I answer to that? I mean, if someone's saying, yeah, what is the answer? Why? What's so unique about Christianity? What's so great about Christianity that makes it worth all of these, <laughs> all of these demands that it places on us? Right? It, it yes. limits my it limits my freedom. I think would be the commoner refrain. Uh, yeah, I, that's know, right. I think there's a complicated answer to that. But what do you think Benedict would say? 
Well, he he wraps it in the discussion on the parable of the vineyard, where he says that, you know, do we want our salvation on the condition of somebody else's damnation? You know, where the, the parable of the vineyard, where the workers come in at the last minute. And at the end, he says, you know, we, we think that spiritual unemployment is because the, the workers were upset that the ones who came in last got in just as they did. And and he says, you know, do we think that spiritual unemployment is somehow better than the church? And we we it is a burden. It is an, it is all this dogma and doctrines and all these burdens, but it's also our home and our protector and our mother. And that's the side that we also forget. And we assume that maybe the other side, the public school life, if you will, if you're if you're in the world of of my former student is better. But if you were there, are you so sure that it's better on the other side? Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I, th- I think the other part of that, uh, that I'm sure Benedict goes into, you can, you can confirm this, but I mean, um, he, we did, we did it. We have these episodes called encyclicalpedia on credo Catholic, where we take a papal encyclical and, and talk through it. And oh, great. one of them was Deus Caritas Est, uh, this idea, it's not, it's not a Benedictine thought in the sense that Benedict the 16th, uh, developed it, um, or invented mm-hmm. it, right. But he did develop mm-hmm. it and he wrote about it at length in this encyclical, but it's really a, a Johannine impulse from uh, the gospel of John, especially like God is love. And of course it's woven all throughout the old Testament and the, the light of the new mm-hmm. Testament can help us see that. But this mm-hmm. was, this is Benedict's impulse. So going, going back to your point about how Benedict was such a lovely and humble man, lovely in the sense that he was about love. He uh, really was. I mean, one of his big <laughs> impulses really was. was to remind us about this God that we serve, who is love. Um, and yes. so, so serving him, even though it places moral demands on us, the moral demands are only for our good. And that's not to say that being a Christian is just about having things go right. Uh, in fact, last mm-hmm. week on this this feed, I released an audiobook of St. Alphonsus Liguori, uh, Uniformity with God's Will, right? In, oh, in fact, beautiful. you know, as a Christian, many of the things in our life will go, will go bad from our perspective, right? right. We, we won't right. have fun. We will suffer. We will be in pain. Right. We'll be in pain. We know we'll eventually die. But mm-hmm. all of those things are ordained for us or allowed for us by a God who is love and who loves us more than any creature possibly could. And that's exactly. why being a Christian is so important. Exactly. And, and he quotes, he quotes the Psalms that, that God is truly, and he says, Benedict says, not just in, in pious phrases, greater than our own hearts. And it's very, very, very touching. I think you'd also appreciate Zach, the section where he says that if love is enough, why do we need faith? Maybe we'll leave it as a cliffhanger for now, but it's an excellent discussion on if love is truly the content, the sufficient content of Christianity, then why do we need faith? And then that goes into the the relationship, the dynamism between faith and love. And it's just gorgeous. It'll blow your mind. Oh, man. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going to go read it. (laughs) I think you will love it. I think you will love it. You'll go, oh, Benedict, you've done it again. Oh, man. I'm going to go join that, that Benedict Studies program in Rome. I'll go with you. Sounds good. All right, let's shift gears here again a little bit. So the main thing I wanted to talk to you about, uh, when when I was emailing you originally, Simone, about coming on the show, uh, you suggested this topic, actually, and you suggested gossip. Um, this is related to another talk I think you just gave or are about to I give. I just gave it. Yeah, it was my most recent talk just a few weeks ago. Okay, great. Well, when you said that, I was immediately thinking, yes, absolutely, because, um, you know, not not because I think that, you know, my listeners in particular need to hear this or something really because I think I need to hear this. And this is something I've been thinking about as I've been, you know, going to confession regularly as a Catholic. I think this is something that, that God's been kind of convicting me about. Um, 
it has yeah. been it has been a pattern in my life that I uh, yeah. I talk about people um, mm-hmm. and I don't always say nice things about them. Uh, yep. and, and even now I still go to confession and I confess this, but I'm at, I'm at least mm-hmm. grateful that God has helped, helped me see more clearly when I do this and when I've aired. Um, but it's, it's devastating, I think to the, to our sanctity for a couple of reasons that I'm sure, um, you've, you've thought about and talked about. So mm-hmm. let me just ask mm-hmm. you, uh, straight mm-hmm. up, what, let's just start here. Start with the basics. What is gossip? What is gossip? Oh my goodness. Well, now I kind of want to launch into uh, Thomas's categories because it depends on what kind of what kind of gossip you're talking about. So he's got if any, any Thomas or Thomistically inclined nerds out there in, in his section on justice. This is where Thomas talks about sins of the tongue and gossip. So the catechism kind of reduces Thomas to these, to the two categories of calumny and, and, uh, slander. I think slander is kind of the easier one for, uh, you know, people like you and me to avoid, which is just saying false things about people to ruin their reputation. But I think calumny is probably the most popular, I'm sorry, calumny and detraction, excuse me. Uh, calumny being slander and then detraction being saying true things about people that ought not to be said. So I think that is kind of where, and he has other categories Thomas does that are very interesting and nuanced, but I think Calum, um, Calum, I'm sorry, detraction is probably the one that, that we as Christians struggle with the most. And I really appreciate, I really appreciate you mentioning that that's a struggle of yours, Zach, because I, it's a struggle we all have. And, and anybody who's not willing to admit that is probably not uh, paying enough attention to their spiritual life, which also made it very, very awkward speaking at a women's conference about gossip. And I really struggled with committing to that topic because I knew that it would it, it was something that kind of, you know, condemning all of us in the same boat with it. Sure. Uh, yeah. but, but and I kept I kept kind of looking for a way out, like mentioning it to my priest friends, like, yeah, this is too stereotypical a women's conference, you know, like gossip, you know, everybody knows that's wrong. And and all my priest friends were like, no, I really think that you should talk about it. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I will. So kind of went through the Old Testament, the New Testament, you know, all the saints and church fathers. I couldn't get into all those, but there's so many about sins of the tongue with the church fathers. And then then going into more specifically Thomas's categories on gossip. But it is an offense against justice because a person has a right to their reputation. So even if what you're saying about them is true, it ought not be said. Because we, because our name is actually what we have, it's, and we have a right to a good name. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> a um, a short definition that I I think actually Sally uh, told me this once. I'm not sure where she heard it, but she said gossip was defined to her by someone as talking about someone, talking about a second person to a third person, in order to lower the third person's opinion of the second person. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's, that's one thing that Thomas will say is that to, to divide friendships. And he says, that's kind of the most malicious intention because, you know, since the intent, intent doesn't remove, um, culpability, but it can certainly increase or decrease it. 
right? The object itself is is evil. The object of gossip itself is evil. So it's evil no matter what, if it's, it's if it's truly gossip. But the intention can increase or decrease culpability of the gossip. So if you're if you look, if you dig deeply and your intention is to divide relationships, is to divide friendships, that's actually demonic, right? That's what the devil does. He's right. the father of lies and he wants to divide people. He and his, uh, I mean, enough. he's the Benedict again, calls him the unperson because the devil is fundamentally about disintegration. Exactly. Exactly. And we see that in scripture too, where the demons even talk about themselves in plural because they... Um, they're they're disintegrated. They're divided. Exactly. So if that is your, especially your intention, you're not just not idle or just useless chatter or just saying things out of, you know, stupidity or thoughtlessness, but actually wanting to divide people and friendships, that definitely is an increase to your culpability for the sin. So let's so good job, Sally. <laughs> exactly. So let's talk about, um, let's talk about a couple of things that I often are let's just put it this way let's let's cast it in more stark terms there are lies i think that the devil tries to tell me when i'm tempted to gossip and mm -hmm. when i often give in to gossip one of those things is well i'm really just talking about this person because i'm concerned about them for their welfare and i want i want other people to know <laughs> yes we all do that right yeah. in my you know adult I, I sometimes like i pick on my students because you know they'd raise their hands and pray in class and go i want to pray for so and so because yes. at the party last week they were just like really getting trashed and i just want to pray for them because it seems like they're going through a hard time i'm like okay don't use prayer for this yes exactly <laughs> not, not the too, appropriate right? way yeah not not quite that obvious but yeah exactly exactly that's, that's that's when you just say, uh, you know, dear friends, please pray for a special intention of mine. <laughs> exactly. But women and, and men do it too. But, you know, women struggle a little bit more, I think, sometimes with gossip where I'm just telling you this so you can pray about it. You know, I'm just I'm only sharing so you can pray. It's like, well, you know, uh, is that really why you're sharing it for that person to pray? Because, you know, yeah, would they yeah. be OK with you sharing it? Right, exactly. So that's that's one that uh, the devil tells me a lot on this, and, mm -hmm. and I mean it's it's something that I use to justify it to myself, right? Like, oh, I, it's I know I shouldn't really be doing this, but it's okay because my like my true intentions are good, and the the irony there is that I'm just really masking my true intention by lying to myself about about yep. my false intention. Right. Okay. Here's right. An, here's another one. Um, I'm only talking about this person because I'm really frustrated at them. And if I don't talk about it to this third person, I'm going to, you know, lose my temper at the, the person about whom I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you, you just reminded me of? There's a, I think it's Sirach chapter 19. I might be off on this. I can check. But there's actually a line in Sirach that says, don't talk about it. You won't explode. <laughs> you won't you won't blow up that sounds like i need to i need to uh make this like i don't know like post this above my uh, computer monitor or something i'll find you the exact uh, the exact uh chapter in Sirac. but when i read that zach i um i think i did explode with laughter because how often do we do that where we go i'm just gonna burst so <laughs> this is actually no you're exactly right i am looking at uh this is kind of a suspect translation let me find a better translation here and i will um, read. Is it Sirach 19? It is Sirach 19. So good memory. Great. Here we go. New Thank revised you. standard version. Okay. Um, 
Have you heard something? This is uh, 19 uh, verse 10. Have you heard something? Let it die with you. Be brave. It will not make you burst. <laughs> it will not exactly. <laughs> so, all right. It will not make you burst. This is Old Testament stuff. Apparently, apparently they were dealing with this then too. And actually, I'm going to, since you mentioned this, Simone, I'm going to read this because this is actually, this whole it's passage so is on gossip. And uh, read I'm just, just going to read six of these verses here. So I'm reading um, 19, Sirach 19. Verses 5 through 12. One who rejoices in wickedness will be condemned, but one who hates gossip has less evil. Never repeat a conversation and you will lose nothing at all. With friend or foe, do not report it. And unless it would be a sin for you, do not reveal it. For someone may have heard you and watched you and in time will hate you. Have you heard something? Let it die with you. Be brave. It will not make you burst. Having heard something, the fool suffers birth pangs like a woman in labor with a child. Like an arrow stuck in the person's thigh, so is gossip inside a fool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's interesting. I mean, the um, the 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 uh, arrow stuck in a person's thigh, uh, like gossip inside a fool. That that makes me think that the idea there is that you just want to pull out the arrow, right? Even though it's going to do a lot more damage if you just rip it out and then bleed all over right. the place. That's what it's like. It's or it's like a it's like an itch you can't help but scratch, right? And it just bugs you and bugs you until you scratch it. That's what. gossip is like to a fool and it's such a it's such a sign of i think gossip is one of the easiest ways to like measure your virtue spectrum or you know i think most people aren't virtuous or completely virtuous and most people aren't completely vicious but they're either in the habit of doing good and not enjoying it or they're in the habit of doing bad and also not enjoying it right and the goal is to be in the habit of doing the good and enjoying it right so i think sometimes measuring your reaction to gossip or this temptation to gossip is a great way to be like okay well i guess that's where i am in the virtue spectrum you know when i when i'm not when i don't when I am going to enjoy not gossiping, then I think I'm in a super healthy, virtuous spot when it comes to that sin. But most of us are wishing we were gossiping or gossiping and feeling guilty. So. Yeah. Unfortunately, I think I'm too often in the spot with respect to this particular sin. I think I'm too often in the spot where I, um, gossip and, and enjoy it. You know what I mean? Like I, I participate in a vice and enjoy it. And then it's only later that the Holy Spirit convicts me. And I think, ah, I, I did it again. And I mean, I think maybe it's a good sign that, you know, more recently, like it's, it's more immediate after the gossip, right? Mm-hmm. That after I say yes. that, I'll yeah. get the prick on right. my conscience, like within seconds, mm-hmm. as opposed to, good. you know, the it's next day. Health. So yeah. I, yeah, I think that's a good thing. Um, but I, you know, ideally I'll get to the point where I, it's not my first impulse to, uh, to gossip about someone. So, yeah. Yeah. So we work little by little, but remember James chapter three, anybody who makes no mistakes in what he says is a perfect man. Ah, that is, that's the goal. That's, quite quite a quite a demanding uh but it is the goal and yeah. it's exciting it's because it's possible it is actually possible you know i keep going back to your student oliver here who i hope like i hope he's like destined for the seminary he's, be- he's going to become a priest Me because too. it's such Me a too. i mean just so his comment right so you're teaching him basically moral theology right and mm-hmm. he's saying isn't it better like wouldn't it be better if we were just in public school so we could have ignorance and we could still do what we wanted but not be not be held to the law, essentially, not be held accountable. Right. And um, I think that's, I think that's such, I mean, just what you said about, you know, you can do good and not enjoy it. You can do evil and not enjoy it. You can do evil and enjoy it, or you can do good and enjoy it. And you want to be at the point, mm-hmm. God wants us to be at the point where we're doing good, we're following him, uh, we're being sanctified, and we're 
we're enjoying it. Not to say that things are always happy and like prosperity gospel, right? But mm-hmm. that we're 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 being more and more filled with the love of God every moment. Exactly. Um, but but Oliver, I think, is like totally right to understand that that is a hard thing. And so yeah. much of being a Christian, I mean, going back to this idea of what it means to be a Christian, so much of this is about doing the hard thing that Jesus calls us to do, not because it is easy, but because it is hard and because it's the hard things that, that, that lead us up the, up the hill to, to Calvary, to Jesus Christ. Yes. And paradoxically, it is the thing that, that sets us free so that, you know, to, to spare ourselves from, from falling into the heresy of Pelagianism, where you just kind of white knuckle your way you know, to sanctity. I mean, it's really not so much, we do a free will, but it is really more about staying close to the one who can then change me. Right. So the, that's where the enjoyment part comes in. So it's not just this cold, stark, stoic doing the good, but that out of my love for God and therefore for other people, because those two are, are related, then I, I start to enjoy truly loving in these ways that are actually quite demanding on a human level, but through grace, I'm, I'm able, and I see myself desiring it and changing because of my attachment to him. Yeah. And this is something that I've talked about on the podcast before, because it's such a central idea of what it means to be a Christian, this paradox, right? That, that uh, perfect service of God is actually perfect freedom. Mm-hmm. totally antithetical to our modern mm-hmm. minds. We think, no, freedom is actually me being able to do whatever I want to do. Um, yeah, and that's, that's right. That's, that's half of it, right? Because mm-hmm. true freedom mm-hmm. involves um, being free to do the things that you want to do, which are the will of God, right? Yes, and, yes. And, and so, you know, we don't, we don't see it. We, we're sort of myopic in this, in this sense. We can, we can see it with the eyes of faith, but... The truth is that if we're doing what we only want to do, we're totally captive to our vices and desires that always lead us astray further and further afield away from true freedom. So the only true freedom that does exist is service of God. And this is, this is, this is the fundamental question that I think Oliver was getting at, right? Like he, you know, Oliver, I, I sympathize with him entirely, right? I want, I want freedom, right? But, but you have to recognize that there's only one of those paths that will lead to perfect freedom and that's perfect service of God. Exactly. And it's not an unreasonable one because with that whole um, concept of freedom, I, I, you know, this is something that I would ask that same class is that where did you feel the most free? And they, they felt no need to be pious or impressive with me. They said, actually, let me think about that. Oh, it was when I was going to mass or praying frequently and and so I thought, isn't that isn't so I I made them really examine their experience. That isn't it interesting and paradoxical that you actually felt more interior freedom when you were doing the things that that the church and that our Lord is asking you to do when you weren't doing what you thought you wanted to be doing. Yeah, I think that's isn't right. That- an, an analogy that has been most helpful for me in kind of thinking about this, and it's a completely non-religious analogy because. I'm thinking of, you know, an atheist or an agnostic who hears you say that and just thinks like, yeah, but like organized religion never did it for me, right? Like I I was raised going to mass and I never got that from mass, right? I've tried to say prayers and it doesn't really work. But, you know, I just think it's to capture this like this freedom versus bondage idea. If you think Mm -hmm. about, you know, uh, if you think about always eating what you want to eat, right? For me, that would be like ice cream and chocolate chip cookies. 
I would right. I would very quickly develop serious health problems that would <laughs> yeah. that would no longer p- permit me to be able to enjoy those things or at least not to like eat them and continue to be alive, right? Yes. But yes. if but if I am am careful in monitoring my diet and having a balanced diet and eating healthy things, then I truly am free to uh, to have, you know, ice cream, you know, once a week mm-hmm. or whatever it is. Um, and it's going to be something that I can truly enjoy knowing that, you know, that I'm not doing harm to my body by, by uh, imbibing. So, yep, um, that's right. Know, it's, it's not to say that, you know, for service, like the, the analogy breaks down, of course, cause like chocolate, chocolate chip cookies and ice cream are not sins. Right. And, you know, I'm not yes. saying that when you are virtuous in other areas of your life, you can sin in that. But the point is, <laughs> the point is that, you know, there's only, there's only one way that leads to freedom and it does not involve, uh, indulging every single one of your desires at every moment. Exactly. Exactly. You've got to kind of fight those, those lower appetites and passions and, and then see what happens actually in your, in your experience. So it's, but it, it, it was just beautiful to actually ask them to look at their experience and to have them affirm that, you know, and another, another one that was really fun to talk about was the first beatitude, which is poverty in spirit, which is truly saying that I, I see the limitation of when I try to control everything and when I'm kind of just open and poor in spirit and let God surprise me, I I actually find that the surprises that he gives that, which, you know, are very different than the plans that I had are better. They're better than I could have even imagined. Yeah, I think that's something that people miss out on too, right? They look at miss it and, out on a lot. <laughs> yeah, because because I mean the the frame of reference gets changed, right? When you follow Jesus, because before you follow Jesus, before you follow him earnestly, you think what I really desire is a lot of money. What I really desire is a lot of followers mm-hmm. on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The idea, you know, following Jesus, everything gets transformed, including your very desires themselves, and so your deepest desires will be fulfilled. But that doesn't necessarily mean that uh, that'll line up with what your deepest desires were before you gave everything to follow Jesus. Yeah, and Christianity is one of those things that you've got to give it your all. Not that that means being perfect, but that you've got to stay in the game in a passionate way because you're going to miss out if you do it half-heartedly. That's right. It, you just get a complete the adventure really starts when you're you stay in the game that's what makes it interesting and john paul ii said that you know to follow christ is a wonderful adventure what do we mean when we say that what we mean is we see his traces his fingerprints his handprints in our lives and what looks like something very ordinary and regular to everybody else in the interior life and in the relationships we live actually becomes something quite quite interesting and fascinating I love your reference to JP too. He also has a unique fingerprint on this podcast and this ministry. Of course, I uh, describe Credo Catholic as being a part of the new evangelization. And if you look at awesome. our if you look at our podcast art, uh, it says "Podcast into the Deep." And uh, I don't think I've actually explained what I mean by that on this podcast before, but you probably understand the reference, Simone. Yeah. Uh, this yeah. this goes back to uh, a Latin phrase, "Duke and Altum," that John Paul II did uh, when he was launching the new evangelization, and that translates roughly to a "put out into the deep" or "cast into the deep," uh, referring to you know g- going out there as fishermen and and uh, mm-hmm. and putting your nets way down into the deep, uh, the sort of uncharted territory, and and catching fish. And so, uh, I love it. It's so, one of my favorite phrases. Yeah, it's exactly. One of my favorite phrases. So this, yep. uh, this effort is, uh, not casting into the deep as it were, but podcasting into the deep. And, uh, <laughs> that's wonderful. I'm so glad about this podcast. I'm so, I'm so glad about what, 
what every God's doing in your life and what you're doing for everybody else through it. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Simone. I would love to have you on again soon. So let's uh, let's schedule that if you're amenable. But I haven't given you any Absolutely. opportunity to talk about endow groups and you're the director of program growth for them. So I don't want to get yeah. you fired for not mentioning what you do there <laughs> and encouraging <laughs> listeners to go there. So go ahead. Tell me Thank about endow you. groups and then tell me well, tell me yeah. how listeners can can follow more of your work specifically. Yes, definitely. I think, you know, if you're, um, and, and we have men following in doubt too. So please men who are listening, join, you know, and especially cause you want to stay tuned on how to, how to be there for women in your life, but it's a very simple concept and it was obviously, well, I don't know, obviously, but John Paul II was the inspiration for endow. And I think it's an authentic fruit of endow. We actually, Zach, you'd appreciate this, have juridic personhood and canon law. So we're very official. Oh, very cool. Very official. Yeah, it's very good. And it's a very, very simple idea in that Christianity is lived in intentional community. But we want that community of women to be based on something deeper. And we crave community, but we we more even more deeply crave community in in depth. So Duke and Altum. And so what does that mean? It means that we create study guides that make the beautiful philosophical theological inheritance of the church accessible to your everyday Catholic woman. So each study guide, for example, we have a study guide on Deus Caritas S. We have Benedict's study guide. And so you're going to be reading the actual inheritance. You're going to be reading the actual encyclical, but then you're also going to be guided with a commentary by a theologian and then discussion questions where you can really pray and relate and discuss with fellow women what what is Benedict saying and what does it mean for my life here and now? And so then the faith becomes something really lived and, and you get transformed and changed by, by, you know, learning the truth. And so many women and, and men too have been deprived of good catechesis for the past God knows how long. And so this is really a beautiful way to kind of play catch up and to do so with you know, a wonderful group of, of women. So find out more by looking at our website, endowgroups.org. And we also have Instagram and Facebook. And I think that's really the best way. And feel free to contact me directly if you're interested in starting a group or doing a self-study, especially now where a lot of our groups are going virtual. So um, yeah, there's just, there's in a nutshell, it's, you know, that's what we do. Great. That sounds fantastic. If you are interested, endowgroups.org. And if you want to follow some of Simone's work, culturalgypsy.com. And uh, Simone, your mention of the study guides made me realize we'd also talked about uh, talking about someone like St. Catherine of Siena. I know that Endow has study guides on St. Catherine, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Edith Stein. So, Mm -hmm. so, and I think, you know, those are three great examples of countless examples of great saints in the church who we just don't talk about enough. I think we, hear a lot about the uh, yes. the prominent men in the church's history and not enough mm-hmm. about these uh, absolutely incredible women. So maybe next time you come on, if you're amenable, we should talk yes. all about okay. one of these fantastic saints and what we have to learn from her today. I, I would love to do that, Zach. I appreciate the invitation. Sounds great. Well, thank you so much, Simone, for joining us. Uh, until next time, I will bid you adieu. To our listeners, if you want to get in touch with Simone, please feel free to reach out to me, Zach, Z-A-C, at Creedal Catholic. Stay safe out there, stay healthy, follow the advice of epidemiologists and medical experts, and we'll be praying for you. Uh, And I encourage you to also, I just saw today, I don't know if you saw this, Simone, the Pope uh, requested all Catholics pray at 9 p.m. for the safety of families, pray the rosary specifically. So I encourage you to do that if you're not already uh, doing some sort of devotion. I know our parish um, here locally is doing the rosary every day at 7 p.m. in solidarity virtually, but uh, but in solidarity. Fabulous. 
Yep. And happy Feast of St. Joseph tomorrow. Yes, you as well, Simone. We'll be releasing this a little bit later than that, but uh, we'll, we'll be past the solemnity at that point. And hopefully, hopefully uh, kind of figuring things out in, in coronavirus land. Um, but our prayers are with all of you listeners. Uh, reach out, Zach, Z-A-C, at creedalcatholic.com. And I'll, I'll be happy to connect you with Simone if you have any questions for her or just want to learn more about Endow or ask her to come speak at your parish, another option. <laughs> Simone, thank you so much for joining us. Until next time, have a great week. God bless you. Thank you.